Welcome to Pivot Matters. I'm your host, Jeff Lin. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, we talk about the ever-changing landscape of healthcare payments and the impacts to healthcare payers, providers, and consumers. You can follow the conversation on Twitter at hashtag Payment Matters and follow me at Jeff B. Lin. I'm excited today. My guest today for today's episode is Amy Trepaccioni. Amy is a managing director and partner at Milo & Company. And I've had the pleasure of, of knowing Amy probably for over, over a decade. So it's great to have you mm -hmm. on the show today, Amy. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, just for the audience and just to get to know you better, can you just talk about a little bit about yourself, kind of your career and your history and, and, and how you got involved in healthcare? Sure. Um, I'm not certain that it's a terribly exciting journey, but it has been my journey. So always have to, happy to talk about it and happy for folks to understand kind of how I got into the role that I'm in today. Banking actually was a very unintended um, career path for me. I had attended much different things for myself when I graduated from school, but I, I found myself uh, in one of my very first jobs out of college working for the First National Bank of Chicago in Chicago, where I, was, I am born and raised and, and currently live as well. And my banking career and now my career as a financial advisor kind of evolved almost as the banks that I work for evolved. So it was the first National Bank of Chicago, which turned into Bank One, which turned into JP Morgan. So my career kind of followed that uh, evolution and, and the different roles that I had throughout that process. So kind of how it relates to our audience and, and certainly how you and I know each other. Um, the first probably eight years or so of my career was spent as a treasury services salesperson. So working at the bank in treasury services, my client base that I covered in that capacity uh, was healthcare. At that time in healthcare, that was a pretty broad definition. Part of that was driven by the bank. So that was a combination of health systems, physician practices, it even included the payer side as well as pharmacy benefit managers. So it was kind of the full complement of the definition of what a healthcare client was. Short little sidebar about that, coming into health, coming into banking and coming into healthcare uh, certainly was an interesting space. So one of the things I took it upon myself to do is Early on, I started attending HFMA roundtables and conferences and, and different things that were offered that were really kind of focused on the provider space and, and those challenges. And I think it's funny now because at the time, you know, they would go around and they would ask people, you know, what system are you from? What physician group do you work at? They would get to me and I'd say, well, I work at First Chicago or I work at Bank One. And the reaction back at that point in time was, why would a banker be at a healthcare conference? So the market has certainly changed over the last 25 years. And as you can appreciate, sometimes at some of these conferences, most of the people are actually bankers. So that, that landscape has, has certainly changed. But back to kind of what got me to this point and, and how I evolved into becoming a healthcare financial advisor, it was really as Bank One and JP Morgan merged um, it was the opportunity for me to take on a bit of a more strategic role within JP Morgan. They had formed specialized industries with a very specific healthcare segment. And I had the opportunity to work within that healthcare segment. And really, my role was to go out with 
my partners in other lines of business that also covered healthcare, sit with clients, talk to them about their most pressing operational challenges. As you can appreciate, most of those challenges were in the revenue cycle area. So I would sit with clients and we would have a conversation about what's working, what's not. Of the things that aren't working, is it a process or is it a product? If it's a process, how do we re-engineer it? If it's a product, does J.P. Morgan offer it? If not, should we buy it? Should we build it? Should we partner to get it? So that was my role at J.P. Morgan, and that was a perfect transition for me to come into healthcare financial advisory. And, and basically, to put it in a very simplistic view, I kind of do the exact same thing. I sit with clients all across the country, and I ask them what's working and what's not. Um, but now I have the ability to go out into the marketplace and really determine um, how to fill any of these functional gaps or how to find solutions for clients to those most pressing operational challenges. You know, I, I, I want to just double click on, on what you just said earlier, which is you've had experiences in, in banking, selling treasury products and involvement in healthcare. If there's someone in banking going, why is there a need to go specialize in healthcare or someone in healthcare and trying to understand the involvement of banking? You know, how would you explain or, or, or share sort of the nuances that you see that maybe only existed within the, the intersection of banking and healthcare that you don't see in other industries? The interesting question, and I kind of had some component of, of this conversation actually already this morning, and the way I would position it, which I hope will make sense, is I have found that there's kind of two groups. We have finance people who happen to be in healthcare, and there are healthcare people who happen to be in finance. It's not better or worse, depending on kind of which group that you're in, but there are distinct nuances to each of those things. So... When I look at things from the lens of a healthcare person in finance, I think a lot of times that is really focused on a lot of the things that make healthcare unique in terms of the way money is collected, um, the way things are billed, the way services are delivered. And I think with that also comes a realization um, of how complex it is, how inefficient it is, um, the non-standard standard that we've just all come to accept in healthcare. So I think, you know, a healthcare person in finance deals with a lot of things that people from other industries come into and say, well, why do you do it that way? And you know, why aren't you collecting up front? And why aren't you, you know, I don't walk out of a store with a sweater and, you know, I, I never have to pay for it. Like it doesn't work that way. So I, I think that's kind of healthcare in finance. Then when I look at, I'm in finance and I happen to also be in healthcare, I think again, it tends to try and shift the emphasis from the non-standard standard to standardization, to efficiency, to using products and solutions that other industries utilize quite heavily to streamline things, to reduce costs, to do some of these things and saying, look, I get that I came from a large retailer 
and now I'm sitting in a health system in finance. But I'm going to take some of the things I learned by working for a large retailer, and I'm going to apply that to healthcare. And I think somewhere between those two strategies, you end up somewhere in the middle where the finance person in healthcare has to recognize what makes healthcare inefficient today. And the healthcare person in finance needs to start to look at some of those other solutions in the marketplace that can help them streamline where they can. So I think that's kind of where banking and healthcare converge and where you say, my colleague over here who has a large corporate client is selling these products and services and, and, and they're put to good use. Is there something about that that I can leverage for my healthcare client to, to solve a problem that's unique to their industry? You've been in healthcare for, for 25 years and been involved in this, I'll call it the ever-changing industry of healthcare. Now, I'll say what happened in the last 25 years, but also what happened in the last three or four years where the pandemic shifted and changed um, a lot of hospitals you're probably working with. And uh, post-pandemic, I think things are changing right now as is with even the macroeconomic conditions and what's going on with, with the environment. What are you hearing from your clients that have had to deal with the swings of the healthcare environment? And how, how are they reacting? What are they, what are they doing to address these market challenges that have really impacted their, their, their business and um, what they're doing day to day. What's your impression of, of how they're reacting to this? Sure. So, I, you know, I think one of the benefits of having been in the healthcare space for as long as I have, and I'm a baby compared to a lot of folks, I think one of the benefits, quite honestly, is I think a lot of the health system staff across the country. Quite honestly, I feel like people who have come into healthcare stay in healthcare in some form or fashion for most of their careers for a lot of different reasons. And I think part of my response is going to be, What's happened over the last couple of years in certain ways is unprecedented, but healthcare continues to have ebbs and flows over time. From the financial perspective, we've been here before. So folks who have been in this industry for a really long time have dealt with these ebbs and flows over the, that period of time and have learned to adapt. So the pandemic certainly was an outlier for so many different reasons. But fundamentally, when we look at financial experiences and and different things, I think it's not quite here we go again, but again, it feels very much like we've been here before. And so there are common themes which we just keep having to find solutions for and ways to navigate around and risks that we have to mitigate and much of that, frankly, is being under-resourced as an industry. That is true on the clinical side. It's certainly true on the operational and financial side for most of the clients that I work with, is that there's just been, over time, this basic principle of just being under-resourced. It's either not being able to find the subject matter expertise that you're looking for, 
the labor market being what it is, the cost of labor increasing so exponentially. So I think we've just learned to deal with being under-resourced. And so what does that mean? How, how do I actually adapt to that? And part of it is I, I just have had to build a platform where I can do more with less. I'm never going to have the, the number of FTEs that I think I should have. And so uh, how do I navigate around that? Of course, the ways to address much of that is standardization, and it's also optimizing the electronic platform, whatever that may be. If that's on the revenue cycle side, it's ensuring that there's a constant effort around driving to ERA, EFT, you know, putting all of those tools in place to ensure that you are reducing the amount of manual intervention your teams have to do because there's just not enough people for the amount of work that has to be done. So on the revenue cycle side, it's obviously driving a lot of that to electronic. It's the same if we're talking about the accounts payable side, if we're talking about working capital optimization across the board, you know, again, reducing what we refer to certainly post-pandemic as place-specific solutions. So things that require a person to be there. A prime example of that is check printing, right? Or, or anything that you can imagine that requires a piece of paper for a workflow to be able to continue. So looking at those place-specific types of challenges and saying, I can't have a process where it requires a body. It requires somebody to kick off a job. It requires somebody to come in and work with the mail or, or do any of those things. So it, it's really trying to say, look, we've been under-resourced consistently. Uh, we have always had to do more with less. How do we actually do that? And it really comes down to standardization, you know, creating a more digital environment and really driving towards electronic because we still have so much paper in this business. Um, and we need to really, in a very meaningful way, have strategies to get ourselves out of it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Payment Matters. I'm joined by Amy Trepiccioni of Melio & Company, and we're discussing healthcare, revenue cycle, and finance. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, right? Like the, the under-resourced uh, functions and going digital and, and getting rid of the, the paper in the system are, are, are kind of key examples of you know, how, how every industry wants to attack it. What makes it so difficult? Is it within healthcare that prevents us to be more standardized, to prevent, you know, to get rid of the paper that's out there? What's your perspective on, are there any unique challenges that you see that exist within healthcare that you don't see in other industries that prevent that from happening faster or, or at, at, a, at a, you know, a better scale? So I think it's going to sound like the easiest answer, but I really think this is the thing. I think this is the key challenge is standardization. When I look at the revenue cycle processes in particular, you know, I, I find that not everyone is optimizing every opportunity in the working capital space, but that is more again, a resource issue and just a, we would love to do that. We just can't get to it. 
But in the revenue cycle space, the clients that have such a diligent process around trying to constantly strive to get more and more and more electronic, even if they threw all of their resources at it, they eventually run up against the wall that is the standard. And we have all had to deal with the non-standard standard forever. So I think solidly we can get to a place where the large commercial insurers that make up probably about 80% of most of the clients' um, insurance revenue, um, I, I think most of that is electronic. Most of that is ERA, EFT. Uh, most of that is coming into the clients directly through clearinghouse relationships or if it is being funneled through a bank, that's usually just kind of a pass-through. And that's great. We, we used to be very excited when we could work with a client and help get them to 80 85% electronic on the commercial insurance side. I think we're still, for years, have been in this 5, 10 to 15% space that represents everything that's non-standard. And that 10 to 15% is the thing that creates all the manual processes, that requires all of the FTEs to manage it. And in that 10 to 15% of non-standard manual is a whole hodgepodge of things and a whole group of folks that frankly aren't positioned to take advantage of the healthcare standard because they sit outside of that ecosystem. Prime example of that is workers' comp, auto, the VA to a certain extent. So the the processes around just managing those payers because they sit outside the ecosystem and they sit outside of the standard, I'm going to get a piece of paper and I need something to do with this piece of paper. So, you know, it really becomes a dialogue around, okay, if someone's going to have to deal with this piece of paper, who is best positioned to deal with it? Do I outsource that to my bank through my lockbox process and have the bank take this piece of paper and create an electronic transaction for it so at least I'm ingesting everything electronically? Do I outsource to somebody else? That could be a consulting company, a revenue cycle, outsourced company, et cetera. Um, or frankly, do I just manage it in-house? And, and that's a challenging question and not an easy answer um, to come up with because sometimes the banks can be very successful at that because they can learn what makes things non-standard and, and they can adapt. Many times that doesn't work and the health system just says, look, my staff unfortunately knows this stuff better than anybody. And if anyone's going to have to manage it manually, <laughs> it should be my staff because I'm going to, it's going to be more accurate. So there is no easy answer, but the reason and the cause is because of lack of standardization. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I recall, I call it back in the days there uh, before X12 and EDI and those standard HIPAA formats. Uh, I recall there was a format called NSF and it was, it was called the national standards format. And I think, People and, and guests have told me that was people would ridicule that that abbreviation of NSF to be like this is the non-standard format in healthcare to send claims. Okay. <laughs> that was the that was the uh, yeah. uh, 
definition of NSF, right? Uh, that, that's how you actually send claims out there. So, you know, it's it, interesting as, as, as I kind of hear you talk about lack of standardization and so on, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's it, in the last 15%, you know, that creates all the burden on, I'll call it the entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. How do you think this can be solved? Is, is this a uh, kind of a battle for at each hospital a provider doing this? Do you think what, what's your what's your view about how the government plays in this? What's your view about is there even a solution for this? Yeah, I think my, um, you know, and cue the eye roll from all kinds of people when I, I go down this path. <laughs> but if I really think of what is a transformational change that could potentially solve this, or at least components of which, if we start heading down that path, may just, again, challenge the status quo. <laughs> uh, it's a little out there, but one of the ways to think about it is kind of um, shifting it and shifting the burden of billing and collection, et cetera, to the payers and really kind of shifting that lens and kind of saying the the groups that are the best qualified um, to be able to bill accurately for the services provided, which are the services that are contracted, are the payers themselves and their ability to collect payment from their members who they insure is probably a lot more the members of those plans in their effort to make sure that they retain their insurance benefits um, their effort to collect from those patients uh, slash members um, is probably going to be a lot more successful than what the hospitals, health systems, physician practices, et cetera, um, have been able to accomplish in part because a lot of it is also, I don't even understand my bill. And so for me, when I look at how does all this happen, how does all this confusion kind of get generated, it, it kind of starts for those folks that are insured. So we can take self-pay out of it, hospitals can manage self-pay, et cetera. But for the insured, it's really saying it kind of starts with fundamentally understanding what your benefits are, what you're covered for. And then as you then schedule services and understand the cost of those services, what is covered, what is out of pocket, and then have to have the obligation of paying for that out-of-pocket cost, um, a lot of that information is wholly contained in the payer ecosystem. And, and, and so that's kind of my totally out there transformational change. We're obviously not going to get there anytime soon. So if we start to kind of back up from there and say, okay, how can we improve this? How can we make the information uh, more readily accessible and understandable and, and therefore kind of help push the information down to the folks that it needs to get to and, and just have a cleaner process. It, it really is 
understanding those fundamental benefits, understanding what's covered, understanding what you're being billed for and how, um, and then when it's time for you to resolve your patient responsibility, you at least feel informed about what it is you're paying for and why you need to pay for it. And I think that that's part of it. Um, and I think there are, I think we're farther along in that regard because of a lot of the digital patient financial engagement and financial experience tools that are being put out into the marketplace to help move that along. So again, it's my long-term vision and then what are the building blocks that we can put in place in the short to medium terms to maybe help get us along that path. I, I love the idea, Amy. Uh, there's, there's not, I always ask a question at the end, which is, what's your magic pill for healthcare? And, and uh, you know, there, there's, no, there's, no, there's no wrong or right answer to this. And, and uh, I, I like where you're headed on this uh, journey here. I, you know, I, these are the payment matters that we're tackling today. And, and I, I really wanted to thank uh, Amy Trepichoni for, for joining me today. It was great to to hear your thoughts and and envision for healthcare payments. Um, Amy, where where can our listeners look, go to learn more about you and Melio and Company? Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, and you can learn more about Melio and Company in general and all of the financial advisory work that we do at MelioCompany.com. Awesome, and, and Amy, thank you once again for for joining me today and. Uh, Thank you to all of you for listening in. Remember that you can listen to this episode weekdays at 4.30 a.m., 12.30 p.m., or 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also listen to this on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music, or just say, Alexa, play Healthcare Now Radio. If you have a comment about the episode of the show, follow hashtag Payment Matters, or connect with me on Twitter at Jeff B. Lynn. You can learn more about the show at healthcarenowradio.com or at Instagram. Until next time, I'm Jeff Lynn.